Hello and welcome to our podcast, What Makes Them Tip? Innovations that change everything, where we hear from business leaders and entrepreneurs about the moment, insight, or inspiration that made everything possible and ultimately pushed them over the tipping point. I'm Mike Strada, founder and CEO of Arcalea, where we inspire business change by introducing data science, formal analytics, and provide implementation from marketing. Moneyball for growth-oriented businesses, we say success is now a science. Stay with us, and at the end of the show, we'll share how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the industry. And with that, let's get started. Hello and welcome to What Makes Them Tip, innovations that changed everything. I'm Jeff and once again I have the privilege of talking to amazing people who are truly innovating in their particular entrepreneurial space and this is a chance for us to hear their stories. Today's guest is a serial entrepreneur with a passion for startups and has founded successful private and public companies across multiple industries. And his passion for business is matched only by his passion for connecting with the communities they serve and philanthropic efforts to help lift them up. Please welcome founder and CEO of Quantic Bank, Stephen Schnall. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jeff. Thanks. Great to be here. No, we're glad to have you. So um, uh, let's talk a little bit about what Quantic Bank is. Tell us a little bit about what you guys do, bird's eye view. Sure. So Quantic is an adaptive digital bank. We are a federally chartered, OCC-regulated, FDIC-insured bank, but we are somewhat different in that we're what's now being called a challenger bank. We exist primarily online. Uh, we bring in our deposits using uh, innovative products, first to market with a few things. We'll talk a little bit about some of what we're doing there. And then on the lending side, we're also a CDFI, which is a community development financial institution. And that's a U.S. Treasury designation given to financial institutions that have as their mission lending to certain target markets like low-income households or in low-income census tracts. So on the depository side, we're an innovative digital bank. And on the lending side, we really exist to help low-income families uh, achieve the dream of home ownership. That's awesome. And, and I know that you guys, um, how long have, has Quantic Bank been in business? I feel like we're a startup, but we've been around for about 11 years now. <laughs> yeah. You kind of wonder when that that feeling goes away, I guess, a little bit, especially when you've started as many businesses as you have and been a part of. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that before we kind of get into Quantic itself. Uh, tell us a little bit of how you got started as an entrepreneur. So shortly after college, I was recruited by some guys to help them start a mortgage business. I was 22, 23 years old, uh, did that, took some lumps. We had a successful business, but a bad partnership, learned some lessons. And so I started over and I launched a new business uh, out of my apartment, uh, bootstrapped it and grew that into what ultimately became a, a New York Stock Exchange listed mortgage REIT and national mortgage banking company. Uh, did a number of interesting and little side gigs along the way, but the uh, the mortgage business was really my focus and um, sold that business just before the last credit crisis exited in 2007, sat on the sidelines, watched the market evolve and really saw a great opportunity to get back into finance in the form of a bank this time uh, with a mission to really fill some of the voids that were left after the credit crisis and help underbanked families achieve homeownership by making a niche type of mortgage loan product. So we went out and found a bank to buy and, and, and executed. And, that, and that's Quantic? That is Quantic. So uh, tell me a little bit of that, about that process then as far as, so you bought the bank and kind of turned it into what it is. What uh, kind of, how did you guys go to market initially? 
Well, the initial plan, this is 2010, uh, was to really reinvent community banking. At the time, you saw a number of banks failing. This was, we had just gone through a global credit meltdown mm. and hundreds of banks were failing. Some were getting consolidated um, and there was a lot of disruption in the space. And so my view at the time, and I was probably early, was that consumers um, really didn't need brick and mortar bank branches anymore. Mm. And so we didn't open any. We had one branch, the one that we bought with the, that came with the bank we bought. Uh, the idea was to really build an online business and serve our, our depository customers online. And we were probably early and that caused some stress because we had trouble bringing in the types of deposits and customers that we needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but fast forward, when I say we, we feel like a startup, fast forward to two, three years ago, and we really had pressure to reinvent ourselves and become this true digital bank. And that's really when the interesting part of the journey began and the, and, and how we you know, how we've gotten to where we are today. Do you think, do you think some of the initial, um, I guess, hesitance may, may be from the fact that, yeah, things are starting to go digital. Is it a generational thing? Do you think that the future is people ba- banking completely online, but there were still people who just, you know, feel like I know that that building is there and that's where my money is and, and I'm okay. Is that what you had to overcome? Well, t- 10 years ago, most people had a, a mobile app on their phone sure. and, and online banking. That was really version one, but for most, for the most part, people still went into the bank to do their, to do their banking. Mm-hmm. If you look forward at um, look forward to COVID that really accelerated the trend because banks were largely closed or branches mm-hmm. were closed. And so what you had at the same time was this whole proliferation of fintechs jumping into the space and starting to chip away at all the products and services that had historically been owned by banks. And so there was really, it was a strong catalyst and a strong uh, motivator for us to really figure out how to exist and flourish in this new digital market where, um, where that's where really consumers are banking now. Very few people go into bank branches anymore. So uh, the lights came on and we said, it's time to figure out a strategy. It's time to figure out how we could differentiate ourselves, both from the, the non-bank fintechs and also from the banks that are trying to transact online and form digital brands. And um, we uh, we put together a game plan and uh, and we're, we're still executing it on it today, but it, it's going extremely well so far. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, how are you different and how do you differentiate from, from bo- well, obviously from the brick and mortar, it's kind of obvious if everything's digital, but how are you setting yourself apart from some of the other fintechs that are out there? So one of the things that we really focus on is developing adaptive digital products, products that are unique, products that speak to the passions of certain segments of the consumer population. Um, I've been a crypto enthusiast for a long time. I was an early adopter of Bitcoin and um, I, I sat with my chief innovation officer and uh, an interesting new role we brought into the bank to try to really help us to invent this or reinvent this, this business. And the first really innovative novel product we came up with was something called Bitcoin rewards checking. Mm-hmm. And we had you know, surveyed it. We had done a number of consumer surveys and we found that the vast majority of people didn't own Bitcoin yet, but were interested in Bitcoin. Uh, some didn't own it because they didn't know how to get it. They didn't understand it. Some didn't own it because they thought it was too risky or volatile. Um, and some didn't own it simply because they didn't have the money to buy it. And mm-hmm. so 
we figured let's come up with a product where we could give away Bitcoin. When you put your money in a bank and you, you, you deposit your money in a bank, you're actually lending the bank money and the bank can use that money to do things like make loans. But banks traditionally hadn't really rewarded their customers sufficiently for, for giving them their money and entrusting them with you know, all of their liquidity. And so we, um, you know, and when you use your debit card, most people don't know this, but the bank actually earns money called interchange every time someone uses their debit card. So we figured if we could take the interchange revenue that we earn when customers use their debit card, we can pay it back to them in the form of Bitcoin rewards. So now we, we developed this product and we were the first in the country, the first bank in the country for a small bank located in New York to be able to develop any type of bank product that involved Bitcoin. And we worked with our regulators for almost two years um, to get a comfort level that this product was compliant and that we could do it in a way that you know, didn't run afoul of any of the regulatory constraints. And um, a couple of months ago, we launched the product and now we have uh, you know consumers opening bank accounts with us, putting their money in our bank, using our debit card and earning Bitcoin for free. So every time someone swipes their Bitcoin, uh, rather their debit card, we pay them one and a half percent back in Bitcoin. And what's, wow. really cool, what's really cool about that is you could use another bank's debit or credit card and earn membership miles or or airline miles. Um, those are a depreciating asset, and they don't have you know they have limited utility. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin, on the other hand, is a reward that you earn, and you earn it tax free, and it can actually appreciate. And so, in fact, people that started using our product two months ago have already seen the Bitcoin rewards that they've earned. You know, probably double in value. And, yeah. uh, and that's not something that can happen with other rewards po- points and programs. Right. Well, it, it's funny you mentioned that because all the different types of people who have and the stages in which they understand Bitcoin, uh, because just a few months ago, I was one of those people who still had no idea what that was. Only recently gave it a try. I said, I'm going to get a little bit of it. And here it is. And um, f- there are probably other folks and this this podcast is directed at um, people who are starting businesses or maybe already have businesses running. Many of them have invested in stocks and bonds and, and uh, you know, exchange and things like that, but still maybe don't understand exactly what Bitcoin is. I don't know if it's possible to put it in like layman's terms, a quick uh, definition. Can you explain for some folks like what Bitcoin is exactly? The way the way I think about Bitcoin, I don't think it's going to be this um, ubiquitous form of money that people are going to use to buy a coffee or to pay their rent or, um, or or to transact within their daily lives. I look at Bitcoin more as an asset class, which is a store of wealth hmm. uh, compared to gold. People have owned gold for thousands of years as a means by which they can preserve, they convert their labor into some type of money. Usually it's a fiat currency that's printed by governments. But people have historically also allocated some of their net worth to gold because they know that over the millennium, gold holds up in terms of a a wealth preservation vehicle. Bitcoin Mm -hmm. is that, but it's more perfect because unlike gold and dollars, there's a finite supply of Bitcoin and that's what makes it special. There can only ever be 21 million Bitcoin period. So the more people that want Bitcoin, the more Bitcoin will appreciate in value and hold that value because they could never, there could never be more than the finite supply of 21 million. This is really important today. And this is one of the reasons why Quantic is so interested in Bitcoin is because um, if you look at what our 
our government has done in the last several months is in, in relation to COVID, we've printed and are about to print close to $6 trillion in new money mm. out of thin air. And historically, anytime a government has inflated the money supply so dramatically, it hasn't ended well for the value of that currency. And so um, now more than ever, now more than ever, it's important for people to start thinking about putting some of their liquidity, some of their investable net worth into an asset that will hold its value. And we think Bitcoin is just that. I gotcha. And I know that there are other uh, cryptocurrencies as well. So when you say Bitcoin, like that's one cryptocurrency, but then there's like Ethereum, I think, right? And some others. So do, do each of those have their own finite amount as well? So that 21 what do you say? 21 million, I think for Bitcoin, that's just referring to Bitcoin itself. Right. So each one also is kind of its own finite thing as well. Um, other cryptocurrencies have their own value propositions and the Ethereum is interesting, but none of them are Bitcoin. We, we like to yeah. say that Bitcoin and there's shitcoin. <laughs> sorry. Um, but Bitcoin is, is no pun intended, the gold standard Gotcha. Uh, cryptocurrencies. It's the most widely adopted. You're starting to see uh, massive movements of institutional money into Bitcoin. Everybody saw the headlines. Elon Musk bought Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, the CEO of MicroStrategies bought Bitcoin on balance sheet, publicly traded company. Mass Mutual bought Bitcoin. And you're starting to see more and more high net worth family offices, institutions, uh, and the like start to shift some of their liquidity into Bitcoin simply because they, like me, understand that there could be some meaningful inflation coming and some pressure on the dollar and Bitcoin's a way to hedge that. Um, and, you know, we're, we're very bullish on it. I mean, we're still a bank and we still do what banks do. And Bitcoin isn't part of what the bank does, but we're trying to use the bank platform to enable people to get involved with Bitcoin simply because we think it's a great idea. Mm -hmm. We think it's something that people should do. Of course, it's volatile. It's speculative. You could lose your money with Bitcoin. Um, and so everybody has to make up their own mind and have their own view on it. But one of the things we hope to do at some point uh, mid late year is to be able to actually offer an on ramp so that people, customers of ours can buy and sell Bitcoin as well. And uh, so it's just one piece of what we're doing as a digital bank, but it's probably the sexiest and, and most exciting part of what we're doing today. That, yeah, that is that's really neat that you're doing now with the with the rewards. Will you um, are you now or will you at some point be able to use the debit card to pay for things with Bitcoin as well? Like once you've accumulated some. It's a great question. And there are some other fintechs that are starting to come up with such a product, but it's a little bit misleading. When, if we were to tell our customers, use our debit card and you can pay for things with Bitcoin, what's really happening is you're liquidating Bitcoin and then using the fiat mm -hmm. US mm -hmm. currency to pay for things. Gotcha. The reason why that's probably not a great idea is Bitcoin is an asset. And if you're liquidating Bitcoin that has appreciated in value, then every time you spend it, you're selling it and you're incurring a taxable gain. Oh, so I think. And that's one of the reasons why I don't think Bitcoin makes good money per se. I think it makes a great store of wealth. And um, you'll see, you'll probably see some of the fintechs offer that service, but there's that caveat that consumers are going to have to be aware of that they might be incurring taxable income each time they spend that Bitcoin. Wow. So that's great. That's information that I, I people need to know and understand. That's great. 
so tell me a little bit more about Quantic then. Obviously, you guys coming to market with something that's so unique and different like that is an innovation that's certainly setting you apart. What are some other things or what were there other tipping points along the way in the last 11, almost 12 years now that you guys have experienced that you can point to as to the secrets of your success? Well, the the first thing that we set out to do, as I mentioned, was to really be able to empower underbanked borrowers to obtain mortgages. So this includes mm. uh, immigrants who, you know, a lot of times you have immigrants who they pool resources or they, their tax returns don't show the full story of their earnings power. You have small business owners. Small business owners have volatile income, especially in COVID. Uh, gig economy workers. There's a whole subset of Americans who they have resources. They have money to make use as a down payment on a home. They have good credit. But when you look at their tax returns, it doesn't necessarily tell the whole picture. And now under the Dodd-Frank legislation that came out of the last credit crisis, it's actually against the law for a bank to make a loan to somebody without looking at their income documentation and count and calculating a debt to income ratio. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a community development financial institution, we're actually exempt from that particular regulation because the regulators understand that CDFIs really get how to bank the underbanked. And so they took that constraint away from us and it enables us to do things that other banks and mortgage companies can't do. So we can lend money to people mostly low income or in low income census tracts or minorities, small business owners who they can't really fit the box on an income documentation standpoint, but they've got good credit and meaningful equity to put into a property. So we do really well in that business. It's a a double bottom line because we're helping people, but we also make a, a very healthy profit on those loans. And we've used that revenue to drive the digital bank strategy, because as you can imagine, spinning up a digital anything Mm. Uh, is costly and it requires people, it requires technology, it requires uh, infrastructure and a lot of resources that most small businesses, community banks included, don't have. So we we use the revenue we earn on the mortgage side to drive the digital innovation on the bank side. So the Bitcoin rewards checking product, you know, we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees, a lot of technology, a lot of research, and that's ongoing. Most small companies can't do that unless they have something else that makes them special so that they can have a revenue source to be able to do that. The way other fintechs do it is they go out and raise capital. Mm-hmm. And that's one way. But we we drive the digital uh, evolution and product growth using uh, earnings from the other side of the business. So because we make money in the mortgage business, we're able to give away these Bitcoin rewards. But we also offer other products like we have a high interest uh, checking account where we actually pay people 1% interest rate on their checking account, which is you know, uh, 200 times the national average. Sure. Think most banks don't pay any interest on a checking account. Yeah. They do, it's like 0.05%. We pay 1%, which is even higher than savings account rates and money market rates or CD rates. And the way we're able to pay 1%, again, is we require the customer to use our debit card and then we take the earnings that we receive on the interchange that we get from the debit card usage and we pay it back to our customers in the form of high interest. The idea is if we win, the customer should win too. So everything we do now on the deposit side is aimed at um, doing what's best for the customer. No mm-hmm. fees on the checking account. Um, you know, We barely charge for wires and overdrafts. I and mean, we were really a, a virtually fee-free account where we pay you back either really high interest or Bitcoin. We have a cash back checking account as well. And we're doing other cool stuff. Like um, in, in a few months, we're coming out with the first ever uh, wearable debit card ring. 
And so you can have a ring on your finger. If you go for a run or something and want to stop and get something to eat or drink, you just you know, walk up to the contactless reader and you tap your ring on the reader and you've paid. Wow. And it's, uh, it's just, we're constantly trying to have a, a, um, a product cycle of innovative new things that will resonate with certain groups of customers. And, and those are some of them. Yeah, no, that sounds like you guys are really thinking about the future and uh, and and making uh, great strides. I also love that you mentioned how you're trying to help uh, customers who are underfunded and things like that. Clearly, uh, as I was looking uh, into some of your background and your LinkedIn and your profiles on your website, you guys are, are very involved in philanthropic efforts and things like that. Um, tell us a little bit about some of what your company is doing for the communities that you serve. A lot of what we do on the mortgage lending side involves uh, financial literacy education. We're really making a, a major push now to provide homeownership opportunities for Blacks and Hispanics because these are two populations who have been, um, well, not given a fair shake historically. And so most people don't know that there are programs available where you can have somewhat tarnished credit. You can have minimal resources. We've got programs where we can provide up to 100% financing for uh, people. Is you know, We could use government-insured mortgages for the first piece and a grant for the down payment. And so we try to we try to do financial literacy education to help people uh, to be able to become homeowners because, you know, that, that's really the, the most... Um, the best way for homeowners to amass wealth over time is from appreciation of real estate. And if you're renting, you know, you're throwing your money away. If you mm -hmm. own a home, you're building appreciation, but there's also benefits of owning a home. The stats all show that homeownership creates a higher probability of children graduating from high school and going to college. There's less sickness. There's less school absenteeism. There's all kinds of benefits of homeownership. So we really focus heavily on trying to educate people. Um, we donate to a number of causes, but you know, the bank can only do so much philanthropically because we're mm -hmm. for profit. But outside of the bank, you know, I personally am involved in a number of things where, where we try to give back because I, I feel like I've been very blessed and and uh, you know it's um it's the thing to do, the right thing to do. That's great. That's very and it's inspirational uh, what what you're doing, and I'm fascinated with the technology. So I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be following this. I'm definitely gonna be looking into. That, that checking account, because that sounds right. And now, is that something that's just offered to individuals? Is there a business checking that's an, that's an option as well? Or we, we do offer business checking, but our, our primary focus is to be a retail consumer bank. Gotcha. All right. By well, the way, our, deb our debit card ring looks a lot like the ring you're wearing. It's, it's black and it's, uh, is that rubber? It's silicone. Yeah. Yep. It's a, it's a silicone ring. But uh, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate you sharing all of this information with you. There's a lot to think about and a lot to look forward to as this technology develops. Uh, good luck to you. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Great conversation. And thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of What Makes Them Tip, innovations that change everything. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to our show, What Makes Them Tip, Innovations That Changed Everything. If you're an entrepreneurial leader and you'd like to share the inspiration that changed everything in your business or venture, please visit arcalea.com slash guest and a small request. If you've liked this interview, please help us out by sharing this episode with a friend or on social with the hashtag Arcalea. You can also help us out right now by providing a review in your podcast player and a thumbs up or rating review would help a ton. We promise to read every word and it helps us improve a little bit each day. 
And while you're at it, please also subscribe because every week you're going to be inspired and learn from other leaders in bite-sized increments. Again, my name is Mike Strada. Let's connect either on social or stay up to date on all things business at arcalea.com. Thanks again for listening and thank you for being part of the over 99% of America's firms that make up the entrepreneurial community. Until next time.